Here we go. The Republican National Committee's first Republican presidential debate is tomorrow here in Milwaukee, as we've been discussing at Pfizer Forum. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. He is the author of The Big Truth, fantastic book, and he is the creator and host of the Takeout Podcast. Major, thank you so much for being with us. Always a pleasure, John. Happy Tuesday. Man, there is a special energy in this city, and I know you've covered a lot of these sort of events, but you can really feel it today, the day before the debate. This is very early in the cycle. Before I get to questions about uh, the candidates on the stage, how big a deal is this? Give us some perspective from a guy that's not in Milwaukee about how big a deal this event is tomorrow. So it's really important in the sense that Republicans haven't had a conversation like this on cable television in prime time since 2016. There was no challenge to President Trump in 2020 as the incumbent. So this is really the first time in seven years, eight years, that Republicans have talked to each other about the presidency, about the battle for the nomination, about what the party should be about. And it's going to do that without the front runner, without the most recent Republican president, former President Trump. Who's sitting this one out? And so I'm going to be curious about two things. What is the nature of that conversation about foreign policy, specifically Ukraine, specifically China? What is it about the future of the U.S. economy? What is it about tariffs and trade? What is this going to sound like? What's it going to look like? How Trumpian is it going to be or how non-Trumpian is it going to be? And I'm also curious about this. What is going to be the look-in audience? What are the ratings going to be? Former President Trump is expecting the ratings to be very low. He may be right about that. He's more right about those things than I am, for sure. But what if he's wrong? What does that tell us? What does that tell us about the curiosity about Republicans not named Trump talking about the future of the party? I'll be very interested to find out what those ratings are and what the dimensions and levels of disagreement are in a debate stage about the future of the Republican Party absent the current frontrunner and former president. Major, is there any particular candidate you're keeping an eye on? For me, it's it's former Vice President Mike Pence. I just feel like with the debate being the first one, a uh-huh. former vice president's participating, you'd think there'd be more buzz. I, I don't get that sense right now. You really don't. And it's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of visibility. And it's not for lack of sort of the central figure on that stage who can say, you know what, the former president's not here. I know more about how we got that agenda done than anyone on this stage other than him. Because legislatively, I dealt with Congress a lot. I was an advisor on all of our most important national security foreign policy moves. You would think that would be electrifying. It's not. And the disapproval rating he has among Republican primary and caucus voters unusually high, considering how loyal he was to former President Trump, except on one enormous question. And he's tried to turn that to his advantage. I stood up for the Constitution. The former president asked me to overturn it or betray it or undermine it. I wouldn't do that. Historically, that would be pretty solid political footing. It hasn't proven that way so far since. I think it is an opportunity for Pence. It's an opportunity for a lot of people. I'm keeping my eye on three People in particular. Four, actually. Pence, for the reasons we've just discussed. Ron DeSantis, what does he look and sound like? How does this feel on a stage 
How can he handle this? He wasn't a particularly effective debater in his first run for governor or when he ran for reelection. Is he going to have that same problem? What does Tim Scott look and sound like? Does he sound big enough for the room, big enough for the expectations that are starting to build around him? And I guarantee you, keep your eye on Vivek Ramaswamy. He has a patter. He has a conversation. He has a sense of energy and intensity about what he brings to this conversation that is unexpected for someone of his age, 37, and inexperience. He's going to be one to watch. I keep thinking about the moderators, and I know Fox News wanted former President Trump to be here. If I'm the moderators, I'm like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness he's not here because he's a handful. He manipulates the clock. He is loud. He doesn't follow the rules. You've moderated and emceed different events. Mm-hmm. Is it mm-hmm. a relief, do you believe, for those two moderators that the president's not here? Will it be their, make their job easier? I don't think so. I really don't. Um, and I have been a questioner at two presidential ba- debates, and I've been a mo- co-moderator of one. So I've done this on the stage three times, and it's a huge event, and it's a tremendously high-pressured situation. Hard to convey how difficult the situation is. And I guarantee you, they have in their preparation, because I've been through this, two binders of questions. And one of those binders includes questions for former President Trump, because they have to prepare those in the unexpected event that he flies in at the last second. Just because You can't ever rule that out with former President Trump. You cannot ever rule out the unexpected. So my point there is they've done two variations of debate prep, one with him and one without him. And because it's a fundamentally different stage, if he's there, if he's not, then you have all the other issues. And you've had to learn and go to school on all the candidates and bring out the issues separate from former President Trump. But I know Martha McCallum very well. I know Brett Baer very well they would be able to handle either scenario. What's different is, if Trump's not there, how much more deeply do you get into issues? How much more deeply do you get into certain candidates that you might not have time for because Trump, if he were to be there, would take that time away? There's now more time allocated for those. How do you apportion that equally? It's a very hard thing to do. You're always criticized for not getting to certain people in certain respects. That's always a challenge. But either way, they would have been able to handle it. Major Garrett is with us. His book is The Big Truth. He's the takeout podcast guy you hear on WTMJ on the weekends. So the Republican National Committee has put out the list. Eight folks will be on stage. And the three that won't be that are actively running for president are upset, every single one of them. Um, Mm -hmm. Was the right decision made here? They both... A couple of them, majors, say that they met the criteria. The RNC is not talking about this, other through a statement saying, here's who made it and who didn't. Is there any argument to be made that guys like Larry Elder or Suarez, the mayor of Miami, should be on the stage? Or, or Will Hurd should be on the yeah, stage. Yeah, Perry Johnson. They can make it. Yeah, and, Gary, and, and Perry Johnson, they know, they know what they are missing by not being on the stage. Here's the situation. They knew the RNC was going to make up the rules and be the ultimate arbiter of whether their rules and standards were being met. And the RNC has decided which polls it's going to take seriously and which ones it isn't. And the RNC has decided what the actual proof required is or isn't for your 40,000 unique donor threshold. All of this was going to be opaque from the very beginning. Everyone knew that. They also had to know something else. The RNC is more Trump-aligned than it was in 2016. 
So if it was going to be a coin flip and it was going to go in the Trump Trump's favor, it was probably going to happen. You just had to know that the party is deciding the party gets to put them on this show. And the RNC knew that a stage with 11 podiums is unwieldy, impossible. So you're going to have a finite number of podiums and it's going to be just big enough for a TV camera on a big stage. 11 isn't it. And they weren't going to do a children's table debate like they did in 2015, where there were two debates. Remember that? Oh, yeah. There were so many candidates. How did that work? Not so well if you were in the uh, children's table debate. So it was always going to be difficult. Eight or nine was always going to be the max number. If Trump had been there, it was going to be nine. So they're out, and they've got to decide what that means for them. But yes, are the rules probably opaque and maybe arbitrary? Yeah, but guess what? It's politics. It's a hard sport. And you've got to be able to manifest more if you want to guarantee yourself a podium on that stage. And Major, it seems that whoever gets a bounce out of this debate could have it minimized because on Thursday, the former president will turn himself in and be fingerprinted, Mm -hmm. booked, and the cameras will be rolling this time. That will be a major part of the news coverage on Thursday after the debate late on Wednesday. The, The coverage will be almost hijacked. Possibly. Possibly. The interesting thing about uh, social media and its rapid spread, uh, I'm not sure that whatever comes out of this first debate would have had much shelf life beyond 6 p.m. Eastern on Thursday anyway. And we're looking at the sort of sense we're getting is that it might be a late afternoonish arrival, not a first thing Thursday morning thing. So I'm not sure it's going to be that overwhelming in terms of erasing or taking the punch out of whatever uh, media exposure comes from this debate. The first one is, I think, a place to create a springboard effect that you need to multiply at debate two and three. So if you get off to a good start, that good start's probably going to last you until noon or one or two o'clock Eastern on the next day anyway. And then you got to start building from there no matter what, whether Trump's getting uh, processed in a jurisdiction or not. So Trump should have turned himself in at nine o'clock in the morning on Thursday. I think so. I mean, honestly, if you're, if you're going to try to counter-program that way and sort of suck up the media, do it first, do it first thing right. Thursday. But, he's, but we, and, and again, we don't know for sure. Everything is subject to change in Trump world, but it's sounding like, and the preparatory conversations we're having, my, our, my organization, lots of other news organizations, it's not as if only CBS is covering this story, uh, is that it's going to be late afternoon, something like that on Thursday. So... If I were him, and I really, really wanted to stomp on this, I'd show up first thing Thursday morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then you have all the coverage all day. Yeah, it's a strange yeah. world we're living in, isn't it? it is. Oh, beyond, beyond strange. And I think I've said this before, but brace yourself, everyone. The history we're about to live through, no other American has come close to living through. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent for good perspective on a lot of this stuff. Pick up the book. It is the big Truth. Major, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you.